Chapter Seven of Indiana. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Herndon Bell. Indiana by George Sand. Translated by George Burnham Ives. Chapter Seven. The next morning, Raymond, on awaking, received a second letter from Noun. He did not toss this one disdainfully aside. On the contrary, he opened it eagerly. It might have something to say of Madame Delmar. So, in fact, it did. But in what an embarrassing position this complication of intrigues placed Raymond. It had become impossible to conceal the girl's secret. Already suffering and terror had thinned her cheeks. Madame Delmar observed her ailing condition, but was unable to discover its cause. Noun dreaded the colonel's severity, but she dreaded her mistress's gentleness even more. She was very sure that she would obtain forgiveness, but she would die of shame and grief in being forced to make the confession. What would become of her if Raymond were not careful to protect her from the humiliation that was certain to overwhelm her? He must give some thought to her, or she would throw herself at Madame Delmar's feet and tell her the whole story. The fear of this result had a powerful effect upon Monsieur de Ramier. His first thought was to separate Noun from her mistress. "'Be very careful not to speak without my consent,' he wrote in reply. "'Try and be in Lagny this evening. I will be there.' On his way thither he reflected as to the course he had better pursue. Noun had common sense enough not to expect a reparation. That was out of the question. She had never dared to utter the word marriage, and because she was discreet and generous, Raymond deemed himself less guilty. He said to himself that he had not deceived her, and that Noun must have foreseen what her fate must be. The cause of Raymond's embarrassment was not any hesitation about offering the poor girl half his fortune. He was ready to enrich her to take all the care of her that the most sensitive delicacy could suggest. What made his position so painful was the necessity of telling her that he no longer loved her, for he did not know how to dissemble. Although his conduct at this crisis seems two-faced and treacherous, his heart was sincere, and had always been. He had loved Noun with his senses. He loved Madame Delmar with all his heart. Thus far he had lied to neither. His aim now was to avoid beginning to lie, and Raymond felt equally incapable of deceiving Noun and of dealing her the fatal blow. He must make a choice between a cowardly and a barbarous act. Raymond was very unhappy. He had come to no decision when he reached the gate of Lagny Park. Noun, for her part, had not expected so prompt a reply, and had recovered a little hope. He still loves me, she said to herself. He doesn't mean to abandon me. He had forgotten me a little, but that's not to be wondered at. In Paris, in the midst of merry-making, with all the women in love with him as they are sure to be, he has allowed himself to be led away from the poor Creole for a few moments. Alas, who am I that he should sacrifice to me all those great ladies who are much lovelier and richer than I am? "'Who knows?' she said to herself artlessly. "'Perhaps the Queen of France is in love with him.' 
by dint of meditating upon the seductions which luxurious surroundings probably exerted on her lover noun thought of a scheme for making herself more agreeable to him she arrayed herself in her mistress's clothes lighted a great fire in the room that madame delmar occupied at lagny decorated the mantel with the loveliest flowers she could find in the greenhouse prepared a collation of fruit and choice wines in a word resorted to all the dainty devices of the boudoir of which she had never thought before and when she looked at herself in a great mirror she did herself no more than justice in deciding that she was fairer than the flowers with which she had sought to embellish her charms he has often told me she said to herself that i needed no ornaments to make me lovely and that no woman at court in all the splendor of her diamonds was worth one of my smiles and yet those same women that he used to despise fill thoughts now come i must be cheerful i must seem lively and happy perhaps i shall reconquer to-night all the love i once aroused in him raymond having left his horse at a charcoal burner's cabin in the forest entered the park to which he had a key this time he did not run the risk of being taken for a thief for almost all the servants had gone with their masters he had taken the gardener into his confidence and he knew all the approaches to lagny as well as those to his own estate it was a cold night the trees in the park were enveloped in a dense mist and raymond could hardly distinguish their black trunks through the white mist which swathed them in diaphanous robes he wandered some time through the winding paths before he found the door of the summer-house where noun awaited him she was wrapped in a pelisse with the hood thrown over her head we cannot stay here she said it is too cold follow me and do not speak raymond felt an extreme reluctance to enter madame delmar's house as the lover of her maid however he could not but comply noun was walking lightly away in front of him and this interview was to be the last she led him across the courtyard quieted the dogs opened the doors noiselessly and taking his hand guided him in silence through the dark corridors at last she ushered him into a circular room furnished simply but with refinement where flowering orange bushes exhaled their sweet perfume transparent wax candles were burning in the candelabra noun had strewn the floor with the petals of bengal roses the divan was covered with violets a subtle warmth entered at every pore and the glasses gleamed on the table amid the fruit whose ruddy cheeks were daintily blended with green moss dazzled by the sudden transition from darkness to brilliant light raymond stood for a moment bewildered but it was not long ere he realized where he was the exquisite taste and chaste simplicity which characterized the furniture the love stories and books of travel scattered over the mahogany shelves the embroidery frame covered with a bright pretty piece of work the diversion of hours of patient melancholy the harp whose strings seemed still to quiver with strains of love and longing the engravings representing the pastoral attachment of paul and virginie the peaks of ile bourbon and the blue shores of st paul and above all the little bed half hidden behind its muslin curtains as white and modest as a maiden's bed and over the headboard 
by way of consecrated boxwood a bit of palm taken perhaps from some tree in her native island on the day of her departure all these revealed the presence of madame delmare and raymond was seized with a strange thrill as he thought that the cloak enveloped woman who had led him thither might be indiana herself this extravagant supposition seemed to be confirmed when he saw in the mirror opposite a white figure the phantom of a woman entering a ballroom and laying aside her cloak to appear radiant and half nude in the dazzling light but it was only a momentary error indiana would have concealed her charms more carefully her modest bosom would have been visible only through the triple gauze veil of her corsage she would perhaps have dressed her hair with natural camellias but they would not have frisked about her head in such seductive disorder she might have encased her feet in satin shoes but her chaste gown would not have betrayed thus shamelessly the mysteries of her shapely legs taller and more powerfully built than her mistress noun was dressed not clothed in her finery she was graceful but lacked nobility of bearing she was lovely with the loveliness of women not of fairies she invited pleasure and gave no promise of sublime bliss raymond after scrutinizing her in the mirror without turning his head turned his eyes upon everything that was calculated to give forth a purer reflection of indiana the musical instruments the paintings the narrow maidenly bed he was intoxicated by the vague perfume her presence had left behind in that sanctuary he shuddered with desire as he thought of the day when indiana herself should throw open its delights to him and noun standing behind him with her arms folded gazed ecstatically at him fancying that he was overwhelmed with delight at the sight of all the pains she had taken to please him but he broke the silence at last i thank you he said for all the preparations you have made for me i thank you especially for bringing me here but i have enjoyed this pleasant surprise long enough let us leave this room we are not in our proper place here and i must have some respect for madame delmare even in her absence that is very cruel said noun who did not understand him but remarked his cold and displeased manner it is very hard to have had such hopes of pleasing you and to see that you spurn me no dear noun i shall never spurn you i came here to have a serious talk with you and to show you the deep affection that i owe you i am grateful for your desire to please me but i loved you better adorned by your youth and your natural charms than in this borrowed finery noun half understood and wept i am a miserable creature she said i hate myself for i no longer please you i should have foreseen that you would not love me long being as i am a poor uneducated girl i do not reproach you for anything i knew well enough that you would not marry me but if you would have kept on loving me i would have sacrificed everything without a regret endured everything without complaining alas i am ruined i am dishonored perhaps i shall be turned out of doors i am going to give life to a creature who will be even more unfortunate than i am and no one will pity me every one will feel that he has a right to trample on me but i would joyfully submit to all that if you still loved me noun talked thus a long while perhaps she did not repeat the same words 
but she said the same things, and said them a hundred times more eloquently than I can say them. Where are we to look for the secret of eloquence which suddenly reveals itself to an ignorant, inexperienced mind in the crisis of a genuine passion and a profound sorrow? At such times words have a greater value than in all the other scenes of life. At such times trivial words become sublime by reason of the sentiment that dictates them and the accent with which they are spoken. At such times the woman of the lowest rank abandoning herself to the frenzy of her emotions becomes more pathetic and more convincing than her to whom education has taught moderation and reserve raymond was flattered to find that he had inspired so generous an attachment and gratitude compassion perhaps a little vanity rekindled love for a moment noun was suffocated by her tears she had torn the flowers from her hair which fell in disorder over her broad and dazzling shoulders if madame delmar had not had her slavery and her sufferings to heighten her charms noun would have surpassed her immeasurably in beauty at that moment she was resplendent with grief and love raymond was vanquished he drew her into his arms made her sit beside him on the sofa moved the little decanter-laden table nearer to them and poured a few drops of orange-flower water in a silver cup for her. Comforted by this mark of interest, far more than by the calming potion, Noun wiped away her tears and threw herself at Raymond's feet. "'Do love me,' she said, passionately embracing his knees. "'Tell me that you still love me, and I shall be cured. I shall be saved. Kiss me as you used to.' and I will not regret having ruined myself to give you a few days of pleasure. She threw her cool brown arms about him. She covered him with her long hair. Her great black eyes emitted a burning languor and betrayed that ardor of the blood, that purely oriental lust, which is capable of triumphing over all the efforts of the will, all the chaste delicacy of the thought. Raymond forgot everything. His resolutions his new love, and his surroundings. He returned Noun's delirious caresses. He moistened his lips at the same cup, and the heady wines which were close at hand completed the dethronement of their reason. Little by little, a vague and shadowy memory of Indiana was blended with Raymond's drunkenness. The two glass panels which repeated Noun's image ad infinitum seemed to be peopled by a thousand phantoms, he gazed into the depths of that multiple reflection, looking for a slenderer figure there, and it seemed to him that he could distinguish, in the last hazy and confused shadow of Noun's image, the graceful and willowy form of Madame Delmar. Noun, herself bewildered by the strong liquors which she knew not how to use, no longer noticed her lover's strange remarks. If she had not been as drunk as he, she would have understood that in his wildest flights Raymond was thinking of another woman. She would have seen him kiss the scarf and the ribbons Indiana had worn, inhale the perfume which reminded him of her, crumple in his burning hands the tissue that had covered her breast. But Noun appropriated all these transports to herself, when Raymond saw naught of her but Indiana's dress. If he kissed her black hair, he fancied that he was kissing Indiana's black hair. It was Indiana whom he saw in the fumes of the punch which Noun's hand had lighted. It was she who smiled upon him, 
and beckoned him from behind those white muslin curtains. And it was she of whom he dreamed, upon that chaste and spotless bed, when, yielding to the influence of love and wine, he led thither his dishevelled creole. When Raymond woke, a sort of half-light was shining through the cracks of the shutters, and he lay a long while without moving, absorbed by a vague feeling of surprise, and gazing at the room in which he was, and the bed in which he had slept, as if they were a vision of his slumber. Everything in Madame Delmar's chamber had been put in order. Noun, who had fallen asleep, the sovereign mistress of that place, had waked in the morning a lady's maid once more. She had taken away the flowers and put the remains of the collation out of sight. The furniture was all in place. Nothing suggested the amorous debauch of the night, and Indiana's chamber had resumed its innocent and virtuous aspect. Overwhelmed with shame, he rose and attempted to leave the room. But he was locked in. The window was thirty feet from the ground, and he must needs remain in that remorse-laden atmosphere, like Ixion on his wheel. Thereupon he fell on his knees with his face toward the disarranged, tumbled bed, which made him blush. "'Oh, Indiana!' he cried, wringing his hands. "'How I have outraged you! Can you ever forgive me for such infamous conduct? Even if you should forgive me, I can never forgive myself.' Resist me now, my gentle, trustful Indiana, for you do not know the baseness and brutality of the man to whom you would surrender the treasures of your innocence. Repulse me, trample on me, for I have not respected the sanctuary of your sacred modesty. I have befuddled myself with your wine like a footman sitting beside your maid. I have sullied your spotless robe with my accursed breath and your chaste girdle with my infamous kisses on another's breast. I have not shrunk from poisoning the repose of your lonely nights, and from shedding, even upon this bed which your husband himself respected, the influences of seduction and adultery. What safety will you find henceforth behind these curtains, whose mysteries I have not shrunk from profaning? What impure dreams, what bitter and consuming thoughts will cling fast to your brain and wither it? What phantoms of vice and shamelessness will crawl upon the virginal linen of your couch? And your sleep, pure as a child's, what chaste divinity will care to protect it now? Have I not put to flight the angel who guarded your pillow? Have I not thrown your alcove open to the demon of lust? Have I not sold him your soul? And will not the insane passion which consumes the vitals of this lascivious creole cling to yours, like Dejanira's robe, and gnaw at them. Oh, miserable wretch, miserable, guilty wretch that I am, if only I could wash away with my blood the stain I have left on this couch. And Raymond sprinkled it with his tears. At that moment Noun returned, in her neckerchief and apron. She fancied, when she saw Raymond kneeling, that he was praying— she did not know that society people do not pray. She stood waiting in silence until he should deign to notice her presence. Raymond, when he saw her, had a feeling of embarrassment and irritation, but without the courage to scold her, without the strength to say a friendly word to her. "'Why did you lock me in this room?' he said at last. 
do you forget that it is broad daylight and that i cannot go out without compromising you openly so you're not to go out said noun caressingly the house is deserted and no one can see you the gardener never comes to this part of the building to which i alone have the keys you must stay with me all day you are my prisoner this arrangement drove raymond to despair he had no other feeling for his mistress than a sort of aversion however he could do nothing but submit and it may be that notwithstanding what he suffered in that room an invincible attraction detained him there when now left him to go and find something for breakfast he set about examining by daylight all those dumb witnesses of indiana's solitude he opened her books turned the leaves of her albums then closed them precipitately for he still shrank from committing a profanation and violating some feminine mystery at last he began to pace the room and noticed on the wooden panel opposite madame delmar's bed a large picture richly framed and covered with a double thickness of gauze perhaps it was indiana's portrait raymond in his eagerness to see it forgot his scruples stepped on a chair removed the pins and was amazed to see a full-length portrait of a handsome young man End of chapter seven